Into every generation, a podcast is born. One group of three Earth life forms, chosen ones. They alone will wield the strength and skill to dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. They are Retro Fanfic Retrospective. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Dom. And about five other older members of Retro Fanfic Retrospective that we raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. It's just, this time it's more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Just standing awkwardly to the side because we don't have enough microphones. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Just, just chill. I mean, t- have a drink, sit down. Mm-hmm. You did bring enough beer for about five more people <laughs> if everybody only wants one beer. So we're good, right? Which actually never happens. So. <laughs> Wayne drinks one beer. Is this a variety pack of beer? Yes. I didn't know they did that. They do that at John's Market. You pick and choose your own. Oh, cool. Yeah. Can you, like, reuse this six-pack holder thing? Yeah. Oh, neat. Of course. Of course, it's Portland. (laughs) You actually pulled that off our rack where you could, like... And they encouraged you to pick your own Mm six-pack. But you save 5% if you do it that way. If you pick your own? Yeah, well, because they charge by the beer. Uh, So if you buy six, you save 5%, which we realized was about, like, 60 or 70 cents, but whatever. (laughs) Goes towards the next beer. I mean, Um, we... It, we're saving money. We'd be silly not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember taking my dad to my favorite pasta place in Japan when I was studying abroad. And, you know, you chose your dish, and then you chose the size. Mm-hmm. And it was the same price no matter what size you chose. Right. And it blew his American mind. That blew my mind when I saw that, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you not just get the biggest one and take home leftovers or whatever? <laughs> Maybe it was uncouth to take home leftovers there? I don't know. I always just chose the, like, five-cheese pasta and stuffed myself full of cheese because I couldn't find cheese in Japan <laughs> otherwise. I just I just really respect, like, the idea of not having to choose just, like, a large quantity of food. So if John's Market, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yes. If they let you choose up to six beers for a given price, how many would you take, Tori? Oh, you well, know, any number between one and six beers for the same set price. Okay, come on, but that's beer. Like, <laughs> beer keeps forever. Like, how many takeout boxes am I going to accumulate in my fridge before the end of the week of, like, cold food I'm not going to eat? It's a different story. Hmm, I suppose. So you're back to us from the land of smoke and shadows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had um, a few undead enemies to vanquish, <laughs> but... At the comic event? <laughs> yeah, I was at um, Chicago Alternative Comics Expo. It's probably a lot of vampires or something there. There were, actually. Did, quite a few. Did you feel at home with your Midwestern accent? <laughs> well, I know I say Chicago right, so <laughs> at least there's that. Right. Um, it was nice. Um, I haven't been back to Chicago in, like, five years. And CAKE is incredible. That's the acronym for it, which doesn't make sense because it's anyway. It's C-A-C-E, but they just it's, made they just the acronym C-A-K-E, right? Yeah, they just make it C-A-K-E. But that's fine. It's incredible. I have a few friends out there. Um, I saw my friends from Toronto. Um, a lot of talented cartoonists doing a lot of really great work out there um, using risograph printers, which is my favorite style of printing. I was very excited. I, I highly recommend, like, if anybody's interested in comics cartooning, but they attend cake especially because i've been to a lot of different comics expos and this one has definitely been my favorite around the country mm, around the country how does it compare to comic cat <laughs> 
I think it's kind of a different thing. Yeah, I think so. Less fan fiction, so I'm less interested. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting because I thought the whole time I should be promoting the podcast, and I kind of failed to do that. But <laughs> we really have nothing to do time. with indie comic scene, though. Like, well, but there are people who are really interested in that sort of stuff there as well, and there were definitely some nerds. And like, it's interesting because the small press expo here in Portland has a lot more like fan artists, like people who draw Steven Universe stickers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But definitely, there are people who are heavily inspired by, you know, that nerdy culture of superhero comics or manga or anime who work in alternative comics. And I think anybody, you know, would be interested in hearing about us talking about good fan-created narratives because it's it's a very similar thing. It's small press. It's like somebody creating something of their own, fan fiction and publishing in their self. And that's, fan fiction is that as well. Mm-hmm. Fan fiction is many things. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of being inspired by nerdy superheroic stuff, our fanfic today is Phoenix Burning. It's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fanfic from 2001. And, you know, we're slowly hitting on the big fanfic fandoms. We got Harry Potter a long time ago, Xena more recently. Yeah. Buffy was one of those, I know. That's about all I know about the fanfic scene, but I know that it was big. But it doesn't play too heavily in your mind because it doesn't sound like you were too into Buffy at the time. No, at the time, I don't think I watched any Buffy while it was on air. I watched some Buffy afterwards. Like when I went to Wesley and I was required to as part of our standard curriculum because it's the alma mater of, what's his name? (laughs) Joss Joss Whedon. Yeah. (laughs) They made him part of the curriculum. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But I feel like. I wouldn't be surprised. I actually probably watched the first couple seasons of Buffy at some point just because everybody else liked it, and the first season of Angel, likewise. And I, I saw some amount of Buffy beyond that scattershot, like the more well-regarded episodes from the middle of the series or late middle. And Angel, I think I just petered out because I got distracted by something else. But I was enjoying both of them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Whereas I can see you two looking condescendingly at me because <laughs> I think you've probably seen everything twice, right? Well, I think that's my default look, but yes, it is also condescending in this case. <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to. I think I'm just jet-lagged. <laughs> <laughs> What are your Buffy's experience? Buffy's experience. <laughs> I, I didn't watch Buffy until college, and, you know, um, Taran showed me that. We've had Taran on as a guest before. Um, Taran showed me that, and it, it was another thing that was nicely curated for me because we skipped the first season, mm-hmm. and then Taran, because Taran felt it was just episodic, and eventually I did go back and watch it. But anyway, we started the, the first episode, we watched the first episode, and then we started the first episode of, or like a season finale of the first season, and then the first episode of the second. Taran filled me in on any like little things I might have missed. And then we also watched the first and last season of Angel, hmm. because Taran was like, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff happens in the middle, but the last season's like the best. So obviously by the end, there's a lot of stuff like Connor being Angel's son that like I had no idea about, but I had basically had a guide. So I feel like I've watched all of Angel, even if I haven't. I think someday I will at some point watch it all, but I've watched all of Buffy multiple times now. That's a terrible thing to do, watch the first and last season of something like that. Yeah, but it's kind of fine if you have somebody telling you everything you missed. But at the same time, I I am sort of like, maybe we should have just watched all of it. Like, what would the harm be in that? I'm not sure it's fine. <laughs> it's a bit, bit too much to just be kind of um, blurbed about when you're watching a show. Yeah, well, we were young. Yeah. <laughs> Taran felt like, you know, he was right about the whole thing. And this season was good. This season wasn't. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> if you do rewatch things, I suggest, um, you know, watching Buffy up until season, what was it, about 
three. And then once Angel starts in that continuity, then switch between the two. Watch the season mm-hmm. of Angel. Watch the season, season of Buffy. That's what I hear people recommend. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Because yeah. then the, you can know when the, when the crossover episodes happen, at what point sure. continuity. And, Tori, you were talking about the first season of Buffy being episodic, and it was. Mm-hmm. It seems like it was much less narratively interesting than the later seasons. Yeah. yeah. But I've got to say, it was still very charming because I feel like beyond the storytelling and the character stuff that people remember really well, the base premise was so, I don't know, uh, it was so neat to have it be this supernatural horror, but not that horror-ish because you have a superhero. Right. Where all of the... All of the supernatural monsters are metaphors for problems that, like, teens face. <laughs> right. And so, like, not to jump too far ahead. Well, I probably shouldn't jump ahead to this fanfic. I'll talk about it later. But, like, that's kind of where the base strength of the series lies that they could then build on, I feel like, with all of the cool stuff they do later in Buffy. Right. I totally agree. I actually really like the f- first season now that I've actually seen it. And I'm sure Taran in the last decade has also changed his perspective on this as well. Maybe. <laughs> Could not. Yeah, that's a possibility. I'm sure Taran will tell us once he's done listening to this episode. Go ahead and tell us, Taran. I'd love to know. I think probably the progression of most people is that over time we feel less strongly about uh, our pop culture things. Right? Sure. I think there was an element of, like, wanting to get into the good stuff, you know? You're very impatient, too, when you're in your early 20s. Yeah, I had some arguments with Tarn um, at the time when we were showing something. Tarn would always suggest skipping setup or plot or <laughs> anything that wasn't the one part Tarn cared about. Let's just rag yeah. on Tarn. Yeah. I wasn't We've trying got, like, to do hour that. Left. Like, <laughs> no, but, but, we, but we could. <laughs> we could. We just keep going. That's so mean. Anyways, I... Didn't watch Buffy so much at the time. I really, really wanted to. I caught reruns as I could on TV, and that was like you know a scatter shot, random episodes, random. Because sometimes they'd play them se- sequentially, so I'd get like bits of a storyline, and then other times they'd jump around. And so I had some here and there knowledge, mm-hmm. and I watched them as they came out during the. Um, I believe it was the last season of Buffy. That was the one I was watching as they happened and after that i switched over to the angel because i wanted more mm-hmm. <laughs> so watch the last season two seasons last season of angel as it came out after the last season of buffy but then um streaming video came out and hulu came out and they had all the episodes up and in the meanwhile i tried to like i bought the first season on dvd so i could finally watch buffy mm-hmm. which is a terrible way to try to watch a show when you're consume so much media because <laughs> uh-huh. it's prohibitively expensive this is true and clunky just to change all those discs like every few hours wait who wants to get up every few hours <laughs> I mean, who has on. that kind of time <laughs> so by the time streaming came out one of the first things I did was watch all of Buffy in order and I enjoyed it mm-hmm. and all of Angel in order also and since then like it's something I do every few years which just oh, it's time for the Buffy rewatch and I just Rewatch all the episodes again. And this might spawn my next <laughs> Buffy rewatch passion. Yeah. This, this story, again, not to jump ahead too much, was very good. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> Spoiler I, alert, it's good. <laughs> I know. I feel like, just from glancing around doing the research for this, again, I know nothing about the fandom, but it seems like the Buffy fandom spawned a fair number of professional writers. And this is one of them. I got in contact with the author, um, Yahtzee, Sent us a very charming email. Yeah. 
uh, describing their experience in the fandom. And, I mean, in terms of the fandom, they were saying it was kind of fan-wanky with, you know, probably weird shipping wars. They don't go into a whole lot of details there. But also just that Buffy inspired them to, like, write this stuff. And this is, like, a novel that sprang into their head. Like, I don't want to say fully formed, but, like, <laughs> yeah. with the pressure to get out. They, they say this is the seminal element of their whole entire writing career and that they're a published author, which I thought was really nice. Yep. New York Times best-selling author. Yeah. And they also, um, I'm wondering what their New York Times best-selling book is now. I'm curious to read it because it's well-written. I also love that they pointed out the, like, awfulness of Joss Whedon's writing. Like, it's so easy to just get into his stuff and then, like, get so annoyed with how misogynistic it can be and then other people being like, oh, but it's so pro-women because there's so many women in it. And it's like, oh, God. The thing is, you have to... (laughs) It's one of those of-the-time things. Mm-hmm. So at the time that was coming out, it was probably, like, one of the most pro-woman voices, but that's kind of terrible because it's a guy. <laughs> it, but it's, and okay. if you go back and look it's at it, it's not that bit. great. Yeah. I, well, I have a different perspective on that, which is that I think there's a shroud that fell over, like, maybe not specifically Buffy, but, like, especially things like Dollhouse, where the work was like, well, there's a lot of women who are prominent in it, therefore the misogyny can't be present, whereas I think that the misogyny was hyper-present because the female characters who were very dominant and very self-assured and maybe very good characters were still subjected to all sorts of, like, violence by the hands of men. Well, I don't remember any arguments about that about Dollhouse. No one really liked Dollhouse. Yeah, nobody liked no. Dollhouse. It was universally panned. <laughs> this is true because exactly it illuminated that. But even in Buffy, you see a lot of things happen to the strong female characters that just... Um, it was unnecessary, especially, yes, from a male writer. Yeah. And also Dollhouse wasn't funny at all, which yeah. is not Joss Whedon's strong point. <laughs> Correct. I sometimes think the funniness kind of shrouded some of the inherent misogyny in his work. But Definitely, yeah. his humor is quite good. Nobody can knock that. Well, luckily we don't have to go deep into that because we've got something that we're enthusiastic about, which yes. is the fanfic Phoenix Burning. Now, uh, this came out in 2001, I believe, or started... What does fanfiction.net say? Yeah, Fanlore says it came out in 2001. And Dom, you did some research. Um, when is this in terms of the shows, Buffy and Angel? So continuity-wise, this takes place right after the end of season five uh, finale, The Gift, where Buffy dies, spoiler alert, <laughs> and right after uh, Angel season two, which wasn't related, but just ended with the note of someone coming to tell Angel that Buffy had died. All right. well, she jumps into a hell portal, right? Yeah, but doesn't like, like that, yeah. disintegrate yeah. her body or something? Yes. Like she's... Well, no, but when they resurrect... This is the interesting point of this fanfic. Did they write this after the end of season five? That's kind of what before I wanted to check, six. too. Did, was this before because season six came out? In season six, when they resurrect her, they imply that they thought she was like actually trapped in a hell dimension rather than actually being ah. dead. So, oh, yeah, that's right. That's Yes. But she was dead, and she was in heaven. Mm. Spoiler alert, oops. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Buffy, so. Yeah. So that, but, you know, the writer's writing from the perspective of, like, she had died after jumping into that portal. Yeah, the finale of season five aired in May 2001, and season six started on October 2001. Oh, okay. So before mm. season six. 
Uh, I assume so. Going I by see. a lot of the content and the, the story itself. I think the audience pretty much did assume she died, even though it's funny because when you start season six, the other characters assume she was trapped in a hell dimension. So what ifs? And that was the marketing at the time. It was like, we actually, she's actually dead. <laughs> What's yeah. the show going to be? Tune in I to watch see, it. I see. <laughs> so dead. From now on, there will be no Buffy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Even though she died before. Like. <laughs> All right. Well, the fanfic's long, so we should probably start talking about at least the broad strokes of it. Uh, as part of your research, Dom, you created a 80-page color-coded document describing the events in the fanfic in extremely thorough detail. Is that right? Well, I, yeah, I try to keep it brief as possible and try to keep down the editorializing of the points, but yeah, some it, snuck in. It's, it's actually it's an eight-page timeline. I was just exaggerating for comic effect. It's a six-page timeline. Six-page. Which is impressive considering how long this fanfiction is. And it's not color-coded. I mean, just the, the character names are in, you know, blue, and Buffy and Angel appear in red, so you can find it easy, but, you know. <laughs> no, it's really well done, though. It's a great outline. It helped me a lot. So the, in, in Chapter 1, mm-hmm. Phoenix Burning, which is the titular chapter, correct? That's mm-hmm. correct. Um, it says, Buffy dies and wakes up 350 years in the future. Who wants to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to talk about that? Let's just go home. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> No, yeah. So, Buffy died, end of season five. Mm-hmm. This fanfic picks up in the year 2353. And Buffy wakes up in a room, and there's, like, strange people around her, and they're like, uh, okay, this is going to be hard to take, but, and you know, she freaks out. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't really hold her down. Oh, and, like, there's a pentagram, you know, magical implements around. Yeah, 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 yada, yada, magic. Yeah. Stuff happens, yeah. <laughs> it, it's magic. She wakes up, and she's with four other young women. Right. And there's some other people there, too. And it comes out pretty soon, as soon as they can calm her down. They're like, you're in, like, they, they try to break to her gently, and it doesn't really work. I mean, you can't break this topic gently. It's like, uh, it's more than 300 years in the future, everyone you know is dead, we brought you back to life. But even so, they did a really poor job of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they're not great, because they're watchers, and watchers are just bad at people things, yes, right? Yes, we realize they're watchers, and we realize that the other four women are also slayers who had also died. They're watchers, not speakers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and Buffy gets to, um, you know, go out and look at the, the skyline, or, like you know, like, run out to the outside the building so she can see what's going on. Sees and Big Ben, I think. Yeah, Big, mm-hmm. Big Ben in ruins because it's future London. Because, yeah. you know, Slayers are based in London, I guess. Yeah. Not Slayers, Watchers. Yeah, the Watchers Council is British. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the Slayers not being British, those other four young women that are around her are other Slayers who have also been resurrected alongside her. Mm-hmm. And they the, become main characters. So oh, yeah. they're, they're very interesting, too. And one of my favorite things about this is, like, when something like this happens, usually our main character is usually the the one the furthest in the timeline or earliest in the timeline, but no, Buffy's kind of in the middle of a, of a spread. Yeah, or somehow, like, the best one or yeah. something. And they, they've resurrected. Like, they got their hands on some demon components they need to call Slayers back from the dead, which are very rare. And this kind of, like, sub-faction of the, of the, the Watcher's Council, which we're going to be hearing more about later, mm-hmm. but sort of without permission, decided to raise some Slayers. And the Slayers that they raised are Buffy, mm-hmm. and we've got, is it Shouting? Shao. It's Shouting. I, I, I don't know Chinese pronunciation. It would be Shouting, who's from the late 22nd Xiaoting. century, yeah. a Beijingian slayer. Was a slayer for eight years. Yeah, all of them are kind of given, like, when they're describing their their accomplishments, just surviving for, like, a more than a year or two is kind of one of these main accomplishments a of being a slayer. A lot of them, they describe their accomplishments when they're introduced, right. like, um, by the, some of the watchers, and... 
a lot of it is like held off the vampires for this many years. Like that's right. a lot of the accomplishments. I mean, you know, sometimes it's demons, which is like, legit. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's kind of a theme that most of the time slayers have pretty short lifespans. They say every generation in the prophecy, but that is not accurate. Yeah, it's like multiple times in a generation. That's a problem in like um, academic things trying to define a generation because mm-hmm. because that topic is like. Is, is it a human lifespan? Human lifespan according to which era? Mm-hmm. You know, is it each individual or is it like a whole group? And yeah, is it each time you can kind of circle a group and say like they have <laughs> something in common, like our Gen Xs or whatever? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, shouting in personality as this goes along, I feel like she's closest to Buffy. She's kind of like more than anyone else. Like she's kind of like the young, irreverent, like kind of. But more into slaying than Buffy as more by activity. The, more by the books, yes. I think. Yeah. They mentioned that these are supposed to be some of the best slayers of the past couple hundred years. Yeah. Absolutely. Though, it's also the best slayers of the last couple hundred years that they had any, like, DNA from to resurrect. That, and that can all speak English. And that, Right. That was also one of their qualifications. But it is interesting that the slayers they resurrect, I mean, they are chosen because they have their... F- <laughs> They're all from different centuries, but you would assume they'd have more DNA from more recent slayers. Well, they do. You don't have anyone before the 18th century, and Nor, the second resurrected slayer mean, from Saudi Arabia, she's from the early 22nd century. So, like, both of those are like a hundred. Well, and Shouding is from the late ago. 22nd century, right. so you would assume they'd had DNA past then. Oh yeah, they just didn't have good enough just... slayers, I guess. Well, I <laughs> I think they they did choose these slayers for a reason, but it, it doesn't kind of unclear because. We're 350 years in the future, so we're, what, 24th century? And they only resurrect slayers that are at least 200 years old. So it's kind of weird that way. Well, they want the ones with the best records. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so Noor, suffice it to say, they all did cool things. Mm -hmm. She's from Saudi Arabia. Her personality, Buffy describes her at one point as, um, not suspicious, but some synonym of that. She's kind of... cynical? Cynical... And um, kind of no nonsense. No nonsense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, standoffish, maybe. Yeah. And but she's also probably the one who is like takes the most pleasure in staking vampires. It seems yeah. like she's pretty aggressive yeah. to everybody around her. Like that's kind of her. She's kind of like a brash hero archetype in a lot of ways. But like, yeah. like she'll sometimes crack jokes, but then she's also just like, I'm all about the killing. <laughs> Yeah, so they were a Slayer for five years before they were killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got Agatha, who is a Victorian-era Slayer. Um, From also Bath, English. Yep. which is really funny because that's like, you know, Jane Austen-esque so much. <laughs> <laughs> and she's probably the most personable of these resurrected Slayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the humor, it's not like she's made fun of, but like one of her things is... She's got a different kind of culture shock than everyone else because she's mm-hmm. she knows London like she's English, right? And so this is like her backyard, you know, hundreds of years in the future, five hundred years in the future, right. right? But she's you know like apparently probably a relatively like wealthy woman from the mid nineteenth oh, century because she, she's got she's used to having servants dress her and wearing corsets and all that time stuff. Time to go see musicals and shows. Yes, yes. And how it was really like she had to sneak out after her social calendar to stake vampires, right? right. Like it was she's not, like straight out of a Jane Austen novel. Like and straight no out of Pride no and Prejudice joke. and Zombies. And even yeah. with all of that they got there a good go. seven years in before they bit it. 
That's right. Yeah. Pop it. <laughs> well, and she mentions later that she chose bow and arrow as her primary weapon because, like, fighting in a corset is so hard. But she was really good at it, so that's cool. Because it's easy to hide it under the hoops and skirts. Oh, under the hoop skirts. Yeah, she's like, be amazed how many weapons you can hide under this. <laughs> and then you've got Sumiko, a Japanese slayer from the late 18th century. And who's the MVP? MPV, MPV, MPV. <laughs> MVP of not dying, yes. Yeah. Well, it's a in a job where you actively fight. That's huge. Yeah. That's yeah. number one stat. She survived for 14 years. 14 that's years. Right. That's insane. They mentioned that's the longest of any Slayer period. Yeah. yeah. And the first thing that she says is like, Watashi wa dare, kore wa doko. Like, who am I? Where am I? Mm-hmm. And it comes out pretty soon that like they're like, oh, we're... But she doesn't seem to understand any English at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she spends a lot of time kind of watching and observing and stuff. And she it's not that she's not a character, but, like, you get less of a... And also you get the fun uh, world-building thing, which is that they consider Japanese a dead language at that point. Yeah. Right. Nobody knows how to speak it. Nobody knows, there's no books on it. Nobody can translate anything. I know. It, <laughs> very convenient for this whole situation where, like... Well, you know, there's priorities because there's yeah, more pressing sure. matters in the world at the moment. Right. Which yeah. is that the world's pretty much overrun by vampires and a bunch of other demons that have come out of the woodwork. <laughs> they estimated before that the um, pre-apocalypse vampire ratio was one vampire to 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. It is currently in this London of the future, one vampire to every 100 people. Yeah. And then it's really funny because when they say that, like, Buffy cracks a joke, she's like, not in Sunnydale, but, like, nobody else is cracking jokes, and everybody just, like, this happens frequently, everybody just stares at her whenever she, like, says anything. Most of the time it's not because she's saying something in bad taste, it's because she's making pop culture references and doing Buffy dialogue that nobody else understands. I mean, that happens a lot, too, but, like, literally, like, she's the only person to speak when they first address this group of, like, recently revived naked slayers. And they're just like, why would you say anything? Because what she says is, they say, they're listing off the catalog of their events. They're like, Buffy, a slayer from the late 20th century. And she's like, and early 21st. And they, everybody just like stares at her like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Well, the other thing about it besides pop culture references is that everybody, all the other slayers, they were chosen for their dedication, for their effectiveness. Yes. Partially for like, they were good slayers in the eyes of the Watchers Council. Yeah. And they all have a lot more respect for the Watchers than Buffy does. They wanted mm-hmm. good soldiers. Right. Yeah. And I Buffy's think that's the main ex- thing is she's disrespectful, mainly. Yeah. And Buffy's experiences are like, uh, the Watchers are assholes, and they don't know a lot of shit, and there's no particular reason to, like, pay that much respect to them. And in the show proper, she goes rogue from the Council multiple times. Yeah, exactly. So she's coming from a very different place than the rest of them. Um... Yeah. And also seems to have a little bit of more trouble coming to terms with the fact that everyone she knows is dead. Mm. Yeah. They, because by chapter three, six girls in all the world, they've all kind of been assigned their own watchers. The, the Watchers Council, by the way, has like a citadel in the middle of London, and they've got kind of like, you know, people living on the around the citadel, and then after that it gets kind of like more ruined and more demony. It's very medieval castle town. They have a mm. fortress in the middle with the uh, ruling council that protect people and the further away you get the less protection you have. Yeah, mm. it's definitely that feel. Which they built in um, Hyde Park by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm. And if the other ones are kind of like, okay, well we've got new watchers, we'll get back to training. 
they might not be super happy with the situation, but, like, they're all a lot more on board with, like, well, there's a whole lot of vampires out there, so I guess let's get ready and start killing vampires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffy is having more trouble with this. And it seems like, you know, you're in Buffy's head, but, like, in her mind, like, she wasn't into slaying for slaying's sake, right? Mm-hmm. She was, you know, in it to protect her loved ones who are dead. Right. Or whatever. And she's pretty traumatized, and, and she's being trained to, like on the new weaponry a lot of the time, and she just feels like she just can't do it, basically. She's like, I just... She doesn't have her drive anymore, I suppose. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, Buffy's drive in the show was to protect the loved ones. Mm-hmm. Or protect their way of life. Right, and she can't stop thinking about how everyone she's ever known is dead. And this especially triggers trauma from her mom's death. Because every time she thinks about her... Like, everyone else being dead, she also thinks about her mom being dead. And, of course, she watched her mother die. So it's especially, like, re-traumatizing for her. And so Buffy has no reason to keep slaying or do anything, really. So you might say she's just going through the motions. I would say that, yes. Walking through the part. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing seems to, you know, really get to the core of it. Yeah. <laughs> good you know, phrasing. Good phrasing. Hilarious because isn't that from like the first episode of season six? Not first. Or not first. Like, the one where she actually comes back. And this no, is... it's not the one where she comes back, but oh, it's like a, a couple episodes after. That. I know what I'm trying episode. to say. It's the musical. I know, but my point is is that the author, despite not having seen her be revived from the dead at that point, expresses similar sentiments in her character they do being see... revived from the dead in the future. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, the, so. this author does see a lot of the uh, future character and accurately um, conveys it, I think, mm-hmm. and plays with it, which is kind of amazing. Seems like they understood the characters very well and also the writing of the series. Mm-hmm. And so they get some more info dump. You know, the Slayer, the Watcher's Council is kind of trying to keep them, like... Well, for one thing, they're still kind of being shielded by this little sub-faction who, like, revived they, them. They've explained that their actions were not sanctioned by the council right. in direct uh, opposition to council regulations. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission, is their attitude. Yeah, right. so they're going to train them up, get them ready, then trot them out in front of the council saying, look what we did, is ain't it neat? Yeah, and they find out that basically only the Watchers are allowed to use magic because it's determined to be too dangerous, and they say, like, that's part of the reason the world has gone to hell. Mm-hmm. There's a local vampire master, because there's always someone, right? Yeah. Right. Named Keen, who's and out there. And we also found out there's been a apocalypse of um, a plague a couple hundred years ago or something mm-hmm. that decimated the entire world population. Oh, yeah, did we find that out at this point? That they... uh, we find out at some point. Yeah, yeah. at some point. That it, it wasn't, wasn't vampires that killed off the humans, it was humans who killed it's off the humans. It's just vampires thrived in the situation. Right. right. But the plague was created by humans. Like, mm-hmm. kind of a... It was a completely mundane thing that just wasn't related to any of this. Oh, I thought it was uh, humans' biological warfare. But I was I wrong it, about that? I it's still a mundane were... thing that's not related to any Buffy stuff. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, mundane. But oh, yeah, sure, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Mundane is a non-magical, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just like, when you said mundane, I was thinking like, oh, it didn't have, it wasn't anybody's fault. But I think like it's important that it's like, feels like it's the human's fault. They decimated their own population. And it just didn't fall. It, like it didn't affect the vampires. So yeah, now phrasing, they are. My phrasing was just to specify that it wasn't a demon or magic. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, no, I hear you now. And so, yeah, they're being trained with ranged weapons because the attitude of the Watchers at this point is hand-to-hand combat's too dangerous. And Slayers are too important. Yeah, too valuable a resource, basically. Even though they just raised five of them from the dead. Buffy's got her new Watcher, uh, like her specifically assigned to her Watcher named Francis, and they don't get along great. Francis kind of expects her to be a better soldier, and Buffy kind of doesn't care. And, you know, she was decent with a crossbow, but she's, like, not feeling it right now. Yeah, she's having a hard time just getting her chops up, and she's getting a little frustrated, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, it's around now. There's so much stuff happening in this fanfic. But one of the reoccurring things is that Buffy has dreams set in the bronze. Yeah, which is a nice use of Buffy has dreams motif, which is used in every other <laughs> season of, of Buffy. It's brought up in the first season and is very important. And after that, it's... If a writer remembers it, they use it, but otherwise it's sort of left by the wayside most of the time. Yeah, doesn't she have dreams set in the bronze in the series? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, right? In some seasons. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's well, you know, the bronze is one of their three sets, so they need to get the uh, most use yes, out of it. Of Which is why they stayed there after, why it turned into a, a pre-alcohol club into a full-on club as soon as the characters aged out of it. Yeah, the same thing happened in Power Rangers. Really? Eddie's Juice Bar started serving wine once they got old enough. You know, about two weeks into the show, because they were like 23. Right. (laughs) I'm not speaking truth. That didn't happen. (laughs) Anyway. I'm just trying to, I'm just visualizing that. You have to laugh for a second. Uh, Anyway. um, Yeah, with these dreams, you know, the character has significant dreams in fiction is a well-used trope. And this seemed like a good use of them, but I've got to say... I didn't spend a lot of time, like, trying to analyze them or figure out their meaning, mostly because I was too interested in seeing what happened after the dream. So I was just like, yeah, okay, people are talking to her, there's no exit, whatever. No, that's fair. Buffy dreams are never supposed to be understood in the moment. They're supposed to be, um, you know, faint, uh, what are the Foreshadowing? Words? Yeah. It's supposed to be faint foreshadowing that makes sense afterwards. That's okay. exactly how they seemed. I just didn't go back to check like, afterwards. there was a huge thing in season five. Mm-hmm. where Buffy kept on having a vision saying, death is your gift. Death death, death is your gift. Yeah. And they spent an entire season trying to um, interpret what that meant. Because talking to a slayer, death is, is your gift means you're super cool at killing. But what it literally meant was your death was the gift to everybody else. And this is one of the reasons Buffy's depressed, because it feels, you know, she was like, I, I was ready to give my life for my friends and loved ones, and I did. And now the fact that she's been resurrected in a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic future makes it seem like that was a pointless sacrifice like they're all dead and the world has gone to hell and, and again they go through a lot of the same beats that they go through in the first couple episodes of the next season yeah very like, prescient yeah of Buffy being depressed being coming to harsh realization of the world after dying for a holy purpose mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now she doesn't get a, she can't really relate to anybody else who seem like I said more willing to go with the flow but she talks most with Sumiko. They try to spar at one point well, and... quote-unquote talks. Well, talks to Sumiko. Yes. Sumiko only speaks in Japanese and nobody knows Japanese. Talks at Sumiko. And, you know, <laughs> Sumiko doesn't seem to understand what she's saying, but, like, at least can tell that she's upset, at least. They have some body language connection. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you seem to be having a rough time. Um, and... But other than that, she's pretty much in a depression. She right. manages to get a journal off of... That her watcher, even though paper is scarce, and you know, yeah, well, that's when they she discovers that paper is like kind of prohibited because it's mostly used for magic, right? Which is why the watchers keep their hands on most yeah, of them, right? But she got some. And now that we've got the kind of baseline introduction to the situation, we should probably just do the main kind of story arc things, yeah. So, Dom, you want to talk about the watchers council and who is with them and such? So, the watchers council effectively takes care of London, as it is, responsible for their protection against the vampires and also food and housing for the uh, serfs, I guess, Yeah, <laughs> that would be at this point. And uh, there's a huge council now, and they're very important, and there's the head guy, um, Ishak, 
I think is, is their name. I think that's right. And once they're introduced there, they find out that Angel is a founding member of this new super powerful council. Yeah, it comes out that um, like Wesley became uh, the head of the Watchers Council eventually. Yeah. And kind of recruited Angel. There's this, there's this funny part where Buffy at one point, they're telling Buffy, it's like, actually, your old Watcher became the head of the council. It's like, Giles did? I'm like, who? Oh, no, no, no. We're talking about... Uh, no, they're just confused, and she found Wesley, out from Angel yeah. that it was Wesley. Oh, yeah, it was Wesley. Like, why did they say it was my Watcher? Well, Wesley was your Watcher for a bit. Technically. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so Angel's there, and that's a big deal, and that's kind of what pulls Buffy out of, like, Yeah, she finally gets out of her depression. Funk, yeah. And she finally starts shooting them arrows and doing everything right, and she's so excited and all that. I kind of liked how even Buffy mentioned about how it's kind of stupid to pull yourself out of depression because somebody else is there. Well, yeah, Um, but but like we were saying, her depression was partly because everyone she knows is dead, and now, look, it turns out someone who you know is not dead. That's like a big deal. Yeah, it's a a helpful person to be around as a friend. It's good. Yeah, now at first he's kind of holding her at arm's reach, and she can't figure out quite why, but once they get a some time together, it's because he's got weird-ass, like, political situations with the Watcher's Council. Because this is a world where everybody knows vampires, vampires are killing everybody, and it's a vampire on the council. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, in theory, everyone knows, yeah, he's got a soul, he's been with the council for a long time, but there's public perception, and there's also factions in the Watcher's Council who don't trust him, and he's been, like, stepping very carefully for hundreds of years in, like, not doing anything that might make him kind of suspicious or suspected. Yeah, and at this point, they come to the conclusion that the person that brought Buffy back chose Buffy not because they were a good slayer, but just to rattle Angel personally. Yeah, like, have him make some kind of mistake. Right. Because she's not the same type as everybody else, right? This kind of, like, council-respecting, living to kill vampires a lot more so than Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, they kind of end up striking up their relationship again. And at some point, they also introduce they introduce all the Slayers to the public, where you really get the scale of how important Slayers are in this new society. They're treated like um, like avatars of God, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and like people are you know saying like kiss my baby to cure its rheumatism. Oh I'm, my I'm God, paraphrasing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, because and they meet, babies have rheumatism. I, I'm, <laughs> I may have just made that up, but that's the vibe. <laughs> yes, and and there was no, a there Slayer was a already. Thing. Yeah, there was an existing Slayer at the time, mm-hmm. um, whose name is Sky, and she's a like she's like a new Slayer, and you know it's reflective of kind of the celebrity slash uh, saintly status of the Slayers that like her big things like living up to her predecessor who was really beloved. By the people. And Sky is a brand brand new Slayer. Yeah, like she's yeah. really new. Yeah. Yeah, so Slayers are very popular in the people, and we also get a perspective on, like, how humans are living, which, which is, is pretty... Uh, not great. Not great, yeah. Like, uh, Buffy trades some paper to a witch. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't realize she's a witch. Until later. Until she's like, oh, right, paper's only used for magic. But she trades it for some cloth, because paper is very highly valued, but she sees the bright colored cloth... And the person she trades it with, Tam, Tam, is like, those those colors will attract vampires. And Bobby's like, yeah, no, actually, probably not. But also, I like really like these colors. But Tam says, if there's any chance that it reduces vampire attacks, people are willing to take that. Correct. Yeah. Right. And then Buffy, like, she values the paper a lot because Buffy has no money. And Buffy's like, you're a witch. And Tam's like, 
don't say that out loud, oh my god. And so then they have a kind of bonding moment because they're both witches. Yeah, and speaking of bonding moment, bringing back the colorful cloth is kind of a bonding moment with the other slayers. Like, Xiao Ting is like, yes, mm-hmm. clothes with colors. Yeah. And they have to recruit Agatha to sew them because she's the only one with, like, sewing skills. Right, right. But then, and um... Noor? Is Noor, like, not on board? She's just like, what are you doing? Like, that doesn't yeah. have to do with killing vampires. Who cares? Noor's just kind of a brat the whole way through. She's just, <laughs> like, doesn't want to bond with these other people. So they introduce to the council. The council accepts them. Then they start them up on a um, patrol schedule. Where yeah. They send slayers out in groups of two because they're too valuable to be just by themselves. Yeah, they've got six, so it's a nice convenient number of slayers. Yeah. So and Buffy if- and Nor partner partner up under the understanding that they'll both say they watched each other but just split up the whole night. <laughs> right, because they don't both want to operate independently. Yeah. That's how they roll. And then also Nor hates to shouting, so... <laughs> That's a thing for some reason. And while on patrol, Buffy encounters uh, Keen, the vampire master, who does some vague vampire mastery bullshit and slinks off into the shadows. Very vampire mastery taunting. Yeah, it's very uh, boilerplate for a Buffy story. Then he's hanging up some play posters. (laughs) (laughs) Come watch my vampire play. I like to be seen. Uh, Meanwhile, like Buffy and Angel have been catching up, and Buffy and Angel has been slowly warming up a little bit yeah they have these conversations about like the past and it's, it's really like kind of interesting how it's done and and i feel like very true where she's talking to him about this stuff that happened to her like last year right and him it happened 350 years ago yeah and so yeah. she's like asking about her friends like, what happened with dawn and he's like uh uh she wrote a book um <laughs> um and, and she's like, you, you don't remember, like, what happened? Like, she's living a happy life? He's like, I, I think, I guess. And she asks, like, like, how, yeah. like what, what happened to Oz? And Angel's like, Oz existed? <laughs> and he doesn't remember Willow very well. He, doesn't, he remembers Willow, but he doesn't he remember lost anything. Touch with her. Like, he lost touch with her immediately. Yeah. And it's just interesting because Buffy's, the people who are most important to Buffy are not the people who are most important to Angel. Yeah. And also Angel's memory is no better than anybody. Like, he's a normal person who has lived this <laughs> amount yes. of time, and right? And it's sort of the same thing where, like, yeah, of course he cared about these people, but it's At been 350 years. It's like, you think about the friends you had in middle school. And how long was that ago? Like, 20 <laughs> years, right? Like, but, but yeah, it's been like, 350. I mean, who knows what that model guy is doing now? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. But it's I also those like, other friends you had. The yeah, ones yeah. you forgot about. Anyway. But those are also his girlfriend's friends. No, yeah. And so, oh, no, like, that's actually a good point. He remembers Cordelia and Wesley really fondly, and he kept in touch with them and their children, like, through multiple generations. Which I love because, because he like... hung out with them, yeah. Like, in the first five seasons of first few seasons of uh, Buffy, like, you have Wesley and Cordelia, and they're, like, kind of a nothing character. So, mm-hmm. like, and then Angel goes, and uh, for the rest of the Angel series, Wesley and Cordelia become increasingly more and more and more and more important characters. So, yeah. it's, it's like, from a Buffy standpoint, it's kind of ridiculous. But from an Angel series standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. It's actually a good point, yeah. yeah. I, kind of, I kind of liked that note that they kind of riffed on that a little <laughs> bit in this. Yeah. It's very... It was very good character work because, like, that is how you would actually expect it to go if you yeah. thought about it. Most people wouldn't think about it to that extent. Because, like, think. Angel spent lifetime with Wesley and Cordelia and their partners and their children for who knows how many generations. Yeah. yeah. Well, was he going to, like, go hang out with Willow? What were they going to talk about? Like, they did not spend time together. <laughs> I, mean, I don't, don't even know if he met Tara at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, he said he, he hadn't met Tara, right. basically. Or if he did, he didn't remember. Which totally makes sense for the Buffy timeline. He, he, he remembers Xander. He, he was in touch with Xander a little bit more. And, you know, Buffy Which asks, weird, like... Doesn't Xander not like Angel? No, but I, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> Somehow they just... 
he was more in touch with Xander. And she asked, like, did he and Anya work out? And he was like, oh, yeah, he and Anya were married for a moment. No, they divorced. <laughs> <laughs> and they also did their own little fan fiction work where they tied up loose ends that were dangling in the series. It was nice yeah. because, like, it's 300 years in the past. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. But it's also tough for Buffy because the fact that he, he she only has his memories to work off of. So she's like, well, I, I have to, like, hope that Dawn lived a happy life. And in some cases, he does remember that, like, you know, Giles did not do well after her death. Yeah. And kind of, you know, did it's not sad. spiral downward it's afterwards. Sad. Yeah. And it's really depressing for Buffy right. like, to know that. Right. And Buffy has this moment, just a reflection, where she's like, how many times did I see him hide a, a bottle of liquor after, like, a depressing time? And, yeah, that part's really tragic. I was like, whoa. It was great, because in the show, when something bad did happen... He did, would drink. He did get, yeah, yeah a shot of, like, of Giles just alone Which in his is, apartment, the lights off with drinking. Mm-hmm. And that was actually mentioned, like, at some point when he started dating someone that, like... Wasn't that part of it? Like, she, like... Never mind. <laughs> I can't remember like, it well enough. I can't remember Giles dating many people. He dated this one woman. Dated Miss Calendar, but Calendar got yeah. killed by Angelus. Oh, yeah. There was something where he, like, he quit being depressed and quit drinking. I don't know if it was because he was dating her, but... Um, my point is, like... I always related to his character because he kind of had that, like, that loneliness. And the author seized on that and, like, made it a real quality of his. It's sad that it brought his demise, but it's also not um, either unlikely because he's a very caring person, you know? Yeah. Lots of good character work, even the indirect stuff. And speaking of the recently mentioned Angelus, of course, you've got the exact same sexual tension going on. Of course. Of course. uh, Like, that's one of those metaphors that I loved most in early Buffy where it's like, yeah, of course it's like very stressful. Like it's this big kind of dangerous topic as a young woman. It's like, Oh, she sleep with your boyfriend. Like all these, all these mm-hmm. ba- various bad things that might happen. Mm-hmm. And in Buffy, of course that becomes like, they are going to lose their soul and turn into a horrible like mass murderer yeah. killer because it's Buffy and that's I everything know. has to be ratcheted up to like, <laughs> and then, of course, like, the solution to that was just, like, we can't be together. Go off and live in Los Angeles or some wherever he goes to live. Los Angeles. And have your own television show. City oh, I was Angels. right about that. All right. <laughs> City of Angeles. Yeah. Anyway, my point being, we should move on. But nonetheless, it's funny to me that her reuniting with him, like, sparks their romance all over again, considering that they'd made such a deliberate choice never to have a romance. They mentioned before that part of Angel's motivation right after Buffy's death was like in memory of Buffy to try to create a better world, which is why they helped found the uh, ca- the c- council as it exists today in the first place. Mm. Why they stayed on it, why they why they kept doing it. Yeah, yeah. I have a note here. In one of the chapters: um, Buffy and Angel catch up more. They don't kiss, <laughs> which is an important part. <laughs> that was my favorite because when I was reading your outline, that's like exactly the chapter I was on. <laughs> so that, that was the last thing I read was they don't kiss. <laughs> Yeah, that's that what happens Which is in true. that chapter. Yeah. yeah, sure, but a few chapters later, they strike up a sexual relationship again. and This is so good, though. Okay, You're like, why talk didn't about they... it. Well, okay, so they do, like, they're making out, and they're totally getting hot and heavy, because they've decided, you know, they've reconnected, uh, this is they after love they, each other. After they kill that uh, vampire master. Yeah, we'll get back oh, to right. that. It wasn't a thing, it doesn't matter, but... That's not yeah. the important part. Yeah, so they <laughs> kill the vampire not. master, um, and we can kind of talk about that later. My the important is part that, is makeouts. Like, no, that, that's the entire thing. They kill the vampire master. This yeah. is yeah. what I loved, though. Like, yeah. So, but, well, should we talk about that first? No, no. We've got this thread. Uh, 
right they decided that uh, Buffy and Angel should patrol together to try to boost Angel's image. And while that doing that, they accidentally kill the vampire master. I mean, it's good in that it's a demonstration of what Buffy's one strength over the other super elite slayers is. Is defeating the bad guy of the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, imp- improvisation. Yeah, yeah. improvisation, <laughs> which yeah. they've mentioned before. And it's cool because he's putting on these theater performances and then the humans are paying in blood, which also keeps them safe because the vampires can sense that they've had blood loss, but... It's all kind of ridiculous. And it's also the fun metaphor for capitalism. Hmm. Yeah. He's also like claiming to be contemporary of Shakespeare and right. Angel's coming Angel's and be like, no, like, you're not. No, I, I know yeah. you're not Edmund Keen. It's yeah, and he's all totally embarrassed. And that's kinda silly because it's very like Buffy season one. Because after that they they do have sex, mm-hmm. but not penetrative penal vaginal intercourse. And I love this because I always felt really weird about the fact that like the trigger was them having sex, but it wasn't clear, like, what sort of sex or what was going on. And I totally, like, I appreciated that it kind of, the, the author clarified in this, it centered more on Angel's orgasm with Buffy, mm-hmm. which just actually makes a lot more sense to me. Like, with he's with someone he truly cares for, he's very attracted to, his orgasm with her would be his pure happiness. I, I can totally see that. So what he does is he performs oral sex on her. And so that is, like, an interesting thing, too. Um, it's also really funny because they try to explain it to Agatha, <laughs> who's, like, the 19th century proper High woman. Society she hangups. has no idea what they're talking about. But I love that they were able to do that, and it didn't feel wrong to me either. Like, I'm sure that would be very pleasurable for him as well, mm-hmm. but considering that he, like, limited himself to not achieving orgasm with her. It made sense that that wasn't his pure happiness, but it was just, like, also a very happy moment. And the author also does a really good job of, like, talking about how, like, they never considered this option before because Buffy was so young. Yeah. And Angel is also, like, kind of antiquated in his understanding of things, like, as it were at the time. It seems like he misses a lot of beats often. So now they're able to do this, and it feels really good for them. Yeah, they, they still have they, to like control themselves, but that's cool. They're, they're establishing some boundaries and sticking to them, and things are working out fine. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that's also very good metaphors for, I don't know, like sexually transmitted <laughs> diseases? I don't know. Like. Well, no, but I just felt like it was like such a thing where it's like Joss Whedon was never like considered the option of a man going down on a woman yeah. as, like, a part of their sexual relationship. He was like, oh, no, they can't have penal vaginal intercourse, so therefore their relationship's not viable. So it's just not possible. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And then the author's like, wait a second, uh, duh. And they're both happy. They're like, that's fine, whatever. So that was pretty cool to me. Now, in other not-angel-Buffy romance threads... Um, what are the other threads? Yeah, there's the the patrolling thing, like... Um, um, uh, right after that, I think the next big point is that they find Nor dead, strung up on a flagpole. Oh, yeah, and that was when Buffy and Nor had split up to patrol independently. And so... This was after that? Yeah, this was after that. So Nor was patrolling with their watcher. Oh, that's right. After they got caught splitting up, yeah. they were assigned their watchers patrol with them instead. Mm-hmm. And Nora still was not on board with that and split off and got killed. And she's like, yeah, she's killed. She's put up on display with some sort of like dire warning. I forget yeah. what. Oh, it's like, do you feel safe now? Do you feel safe yeah. now? And so they're like, oh, Keen got her. Yeah. 
And everyone's very distressed by this, of course. Next chapter, they kill Keen. Next chapter, they kill Keen. But one of the other things yes. is that, like, Keen is like, oh, I've always wanted the chance to kill a Slayer. And Buffy's like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so they realize that, Buffy realizes that Keen did not kill Norm. So right. part of it. Someone else did. And at a, by the way, speaking about the fanfic up until now, mm-hmm. one of the things it does really, really well is build tension slowly and well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's not just tension from one direction either. There's this tension about, like, how much she should trust the Watcher's Council. There's this tension about, like, you know, from the, the angel direction when, like, she's not sure what his position is or, like, his position might be in danger. There's tension from, like the threat of vampires around them, or now, where you're learning, like, wait, that this guy Keen, who everyone thought was, like, the big bad around here, was not the one who killed the Slayer. And they're all like, did someone just get lucky? Yeah. I There's a tension between Sky and the uh, new Slayers. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We try to reconcile all that. Now there's more than one sacred cow. <laughs> right, and, yeah. and, you know, since her concern was, like, oh, my previous person, the previous Slayer was really beloved, and I need to love her footsteps. Can I have a better She's metaphor like, for that? Like, holy... Holy... Festival version. No, they're all terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, Sky is somewhat distressed. She's not like exactly there's completely unfriendly, but like now there's five legendary slayers. Of, I guess four in, in a little bit. I'm gonna go with battle popes as the metaphor. Battle popes. There's, there's five other battle popes now. Right. That Leg- makes sense. Legendary, <laughs> super well regarded, much better than her ones. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this fanfic does a good job also in keeping the stakes. Like the stakes are, uh, the stakes aren't what I'm looking for. The the danger level. It's like they make you very aware that slayers are very good, and these are very good slayers. Mm -hmm. But a slayer is just is not invincible. Like you can get unlucky, you can get killed, and that happens all the time. Right. And since the death of Nor, even though you know, and and the killing of this previous vampire master who maybe was not the biggest deal after all. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffy and Angel kind of get chewed out for being reckless. But Buffy starts taking the lead in planning out more aggressive attacks to, like, really take the fight to the local vampires. Right, because, like, London has a huge uh, underground system of trams, which is apparently vampire heaven. And Buffy comes up with a plan to bomb the shit out of it, then make them all come out and stake them. At least section by section. Yeah. And the other... Benefit of that plan is that then that section of the tunnels becomes less usable for the vampires henceforth. Right. Yeah, and she kind of gets that idea from seeing the vampires do these things called burnouts, where they like burn big uh, housing complexes to flush the people out inside. Mm-hmm. Which I also feel is uh, stands as a kind of like point of horror in the in in it. But yeah. it's interesting that she derives an idea to kill vamps from the same perspective. It's a very basic military strategy that should have been in effect hundreds of years before this. Mm-hmm. You would think. Um, and, you know, there's a bit of pushback for this kind of thing, but they have some success doing it. And um, a month passes and all that kind of thing. And following up from that, there she puts together this plan to clear out the British Museum, which is apparently a huge, like, also, nest of vampires. Like one of the biggest vamp nests in London. Yeah. And part of her plan here is to convince the Watcher's Council that magic is useful, so she reaches out to that magic witch contact she made earlier mm-hmm. and, like, gets the cooperation of some underground, you know, witcheries. A whole group of magic users. A whole coven. Yeah. I was at the work. 
Yeah, and at first, Tam, the witch, is very hesitant to trust her when she realizes she's a slayer, but she does end up putting faith in her. Because we've kind of been drip-fed through the rest of this that magic is seriously, seriously, seriously banned. Right. Mm. And that any sort of magic is reportable to the council, right. and the council will take you and like your whole family out. Right, because the council kind of like runs the city now. I don't yeah. know if we clarified that Yeah, before, we did. But, okay. in, in fact, they kind of seem to be a de facto, I don't know about world government, but they seem to be in charge of at least some other like outposts where they kind of mm. recruit slayers from sometimes. Yeah. Like other right. more distant settlements. Um, and so they put together this plan. It involves kind of putting a shield around the museum to prevent, I forget, vampires from getting out. Well, the, they, they, they have a plan. They have a plan. Whatever. It doesn't matter. uses magic. Yeah. Yeah. That uses mm. magic. And when they, but they end up doing some early recon of the museum uh, before the plan is going to happen, mm-hmm. and it's totally abandoned. There's no vampires there. Yeah, there's mm. no zero vampires there. A non-positive number of vampires mm-hmm. in which, the British Museum. Which Angel can tell because sometimes vampires can sense other vampires if it's convenient for the story, yeah. which is very, very buffy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like, I can smell, but like no one's been coming through this, and this is the main entrance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the only you, entrance. But then you cut to clips where the vampires being ambushed by other vampires in the show, yada, yada. Yeah, well, you know. Well, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, not only is it empty, it's been booby-trapped. Right. Now, right it's been booby-trapped. Buffy's almost crushed um, by the Rosetta Stone dropping on her. <laughs> Some rock, and then somebody <laughs> identifies it as a Rosetta Stone. <laughs> Agatha identifies it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw that when I was in London, by the way. Now, this is about to be the... Bucket list thing. Pretty cool. Oh, great. I kissed the Blarney Stone. Gross. So you know. Yeah, I know. It's pretty gross. <laughs> also terrifying. Did you know they, they they lean you backwards and suspend you over this, like, giant drop? I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nonsense. There's got to be some gross diseases on there by now, too. I know. But, but see, I've gotten the gift of gab, though, you can tell, right? <laughs> of course. Very useful for a podcaster. Mm-hmm. But I went to see, um, who was it? Oscar Wilde's Grave? They have a plastic thing up around it now, so you can't kiss it. But people have been kissing that plastic thing now, so. <laughs> so you can see the marks. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Now, when Buffy and Angel are returning from the museum, that's no, going to be the turning point of the whole family. When Buffy was returning by themselves. They're returning by themselves right. from yes. the museum. Yeah. That's about to be the turning point of the whole fanfic. There's another thread that's important for the ending, which is that... We'll get to it there, I think. Should we get to it at the ending? Yeah, so Buffy is injured, making their way back to the council mm-hmm. uh, by themselves when they come across another burnout. Yes. And people are running out, and uh, Buffy finds out this is uh, the coven of witches that Tam had introduced themselves to before, including Tam right. themselves, and who, as soon as, identif- who's, as soon as Buffy identifies Tam, Tam gets killed with a crossbow bolt, and we find that... Sky has done this burnout and is killing all the witches. Yes, and the reason there were no vampires there is because they had been warned, and the reason that these witches are being killed, who were going to be part of the plan, is because someone had leaked this plan. And Sky is killing all these witches, or leading up this effort to kill all the witches. Yeah, and so yeah. Buffy is heavily injured at this point, mm-hmm. and Sky says, "You, you had to stand up and fight me." So, so this will work. And Buffy's like, "Yeah, no." Right, I refuse yeah, if, to fight if you. Yeah, if you want to kill yeah. me, then you'll just have to kill me like a dog. <laughs> and yeah, just so our listeners remember, Sky is like the new Slayer in this era, and she's pretty young. One assumes they're called at, what, 15? Six, yeah, I don't whatever. know. 
I don't remember. She's, but, but she's, she's about she's as young pretty as young. They're, they're called that young, right. I think. Yeah. And so she's been doing the bidding of the Watchers Council, apparently, and now she's like, Buffy, you have to fight me. Buffy realizes that she's also the one who killed Noor, mm-hmm. but Buffy is just like, I'm I'm not going to fight you, kid. Like, she kind of feels bad for her, right? In and a she, certain sense. Yeah, well, she killed Noor and she killed these witches at mm-hmm. the behest of the Watcher's Council because they, they want yeah. to keep all their resources firmly under their thumb. Mm-hmm. And that includes a monopoly on magic, and that includes the Slayers right. doing what they are instructed. It also and, includes uh, not fighting back the vampires too far. Mm-hmm. Keeping the vampires mm-hmm. a present and present threat. Yes, we kind of realize that later on. But Buffy also, um, Sky gets really desperate and kind of manic at this point. Like, this is what makes me important. This is what makes me valuable. And it's it's very poignant because you kind of see how the presence of Buffy and the other older slayers even pushed her further mm-hmm. to this point of needing to find her worth. That's a little more established earlier on that she doesn't feel like she has a lot of worth with these other slayers. So she's very desperate, and she's very young, and Buffy still and has to deal with she's never been exposed to the concept of propaganda or questioning right, authority. Right. sure. Well, it's been a couple hundred years where they're under this uh, ruling uh, dictatorship, pretty much, that get, controls all the propaganda, all the, yeah. mm-hmm. all the wealth, all the power, all yeah. the safety. Yeah. And so Buffy ends up having to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of those horror stories where it turns out the real horror was man. Was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> That's not untrue. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is pretty horrifying what, what happens with Sky and, and Buffy's really traumatized. But so blood, she runs yeah. off, right, back to... She tries to find Angel. Yeah, uh, blood-soaked and still, you know, terribly injured. They go back to the council, first find Angel, and Angel does a... Um, you know, forensic murderers clean up on her, like burns the clothes, gets all the blood from underneath the fingernails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's just sobbing the whole time, poor thing. And Buffy tells him that they left something at the scene, the the weapon. The something. blaster. Yeah, something something. They call like it a that. blaster or something. Something Han Solo. And so Angel's gonna go collect it and Buffy sleeps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they wake up in the morning to find that the news around the council is that Angel killed Sky. They, right. they found him there right. at the scene with, with a weapon. And, I'm oh, sorry, go on. And, of course, a vampire killed a slayer. Of course. That's how things go. We all knew this would happen. Well, and also, we kind of were revealed to, like, before this point, that, like, Markwith, the person who, like, was behind bringing back all the slayers. The most sinister yes, of the Watchers Council. Yes, he was He was been revealed that he had an ulterior motive in bringing Buffy back, which was to somehow manipulate Angel. Yeah, we, yeah. we've covered that. I'll, I'll, I'll yes, that. I think but, we never named Markwith at all. I think this is the first time we said their name. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, my main, my main point is that, like, we kind of realize... Now, like the full extent of that manipulation, um, I don't know if it was specified before actually that it's supposed to like kind of be the point of driving Angel to insanity. Like he's really anti Angel, mm-hmm. and we don't like fully get. We have hints of it, and we don't fully get it until like around here. That I feel like we kind of got it before this, but anyway, it depends how much you were paying attention. So when when Buffy objects to this, of course they're like, "Oh, you're just trying to protect him because he's your lover," and everyone knows that. And so she ends up being drugged and put into custody. And she has kind of a last dream of the bronze. And this one, in the previous bronze dreams, there's just like other people in her like current life. Yeah, before this, they have a face-to-face where Mark with sits down and then taunts Buffy about all the stuff that's going mm. on. It's like, you're, you're going to be a good slayer now. You're going to follow the rules. 
Yeah, or you, else. You're gonna do. You don't even have to do all those killings and stuff. It's still gonna happen. We're just gonna have other people do it, and you just have to stand and smile and be a slayer. Mm-hmm. And she has one last dream mm-hmm. with, with all the old Buffy characters in it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird going <laughs> back to a scene where everybody's speaking in Buffy dialogue. I've got to say, mm-hmm. because the the. The Xander and Willow lines and, like, between some of these characters are very Buffy one-liner type things. Yeah. Great, <laughs> was, great dialogue, I think. It was jarring, but but really well done. It felt, like, really homey, too, after yeah. all this yeah. futuristic stuff that's been going on and how Buffy's had to stop or explain every Buffyism that, that they've said. <laughs> In the, like, she's not able to escape. She's brought to Angel's trial, but she comes out of that dream with a plan. Mm-hmm. And this plan hinges on some other stuff we hadn't really talked about. But vampires are executed in this setting. Quote, unquote. In a very Mm -hmm. painful way where they're like, I don't know, tied up to a cross and then staked for every crime. No, they're they're like drugged and like shackled. Drugged and shackled, whatever. They're stabbed for every offense. Yeah, and not stabbed in a lethal way. Stabbed with like a stake in like various non-lethal ways until the very end. Tortured. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For a public crowd that cheers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what is going to happen to Angel, and they have, like, a whole bunch of murders to put on him, and he's going to be stabbed a whole bunch of times. And that's also what happened to Spike, by the way, oh, yeah. which we didn't mention before. No, that's a nice bit of the story. Yeah, drugged and tortured. <laughs> so, Yep, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And so Buffy ends up talking them into letting her do it, and she's presenting it as kind of like a, look, I need to be the one to do this, like, because right. he's important to me. And they do it because it's important to show people that Buffy follows orders. Right. So they let her do that. So then we have this whole other plotline that we haven't talked about. Right. Wherein, apparently, this demon came to the Watcher's Council a long time ago with, like, offering its blood to turn Angel back into a human. This is the Shanshu prophecy, which is a huge part of the Angel series. It's an important part through seasons two through five, uh, to, to, to the end of it. It's the driving force of the whole series. And it, and it actually happened at one point in Buffy, in Angel, right? Uh, kind of. Kind of? Okay. <laughs> so this was what I was wondering, though, is because I had this vague remembrance, like having watched only a bit of Angel. Did it truly happen that Angel was human for a day in the series? They had this demon, and they fought and got some of the blood in, and they yes. were human, but something went wrong, so they reversed time, so it didn't happen. That's right. So Angel, in this timeline, for some reason, remembers being human for a day. No, I think Angel right? remembered it, but just still made that choice. Oh, to, okay. Because he's dark and tortured, you know. But nonetheless, in the in the way the author presents it, it keeps coming up that he remembers being human for a day, but Buffy does not. And well, so Buffy then convinces him that that never happened. No, the thing is, it did never happen. And right. Angel knew that at that time, but that was a memory from 350 years ago. He forgot how exactly it went down. It's like, that <laughs> happened, right? No, I think that was a dream. No, that happened. No, I wouldn't remember that. <laughs> but Buffy doesn't remember it at all. Because it didn't happen. Because it didn't happen for Buffy. In, this time, Buffy. in the timeline that Buffy was in. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. And, and that timeline, like, like in the original timeline, see, like Buffy was there, then got involved, and they... So this is a different timeline. That one episode is his own thing. But that one Angel is, in this story remembers that. He so. remembers what happened in that alternate timeline that was undone. And that's just what happens in the Angel Why? series. That's that's just a one episode thing. <laughs> okay, anyway, moving on. So he remembers that Buffy doesn't. Anyway, but it's important. The point is the Watcher's Council's been sitting on this demon's blood that's supposed to be fated to turn Angel into a human, and they've convinced him that, like, oh, that, that prophecy is actually a metaphor, and you're, you'll find peace of mind, not humanity. Because, like, throughout this series of Angel, they kept on 
trying to retranslate and translate the Shanshu prophecy. It was purposely vague so they can change to what it meant at different times. Mm. But a uh, but actually Francis, like Buffy's Slayer, ends up like handing basically putting into their Buffy's hands washer. this blood that is Buffy's Slayer, Buffy's Washer. <laughs> yes. And basically return this blood to them and like expect them to use it to turn Angel human. Mm-hmm. And so Buffy's plan involves staking Angel with a stake coated in this demon blood. Mm-hmm. Soaked that, in it. Soaked in it that yeah. turns him human, albeit very, very painfully. And then she gets to use the power of like, you know, mass slayer worship to be like, look. He's been forgiven and turned no, human. No, that's not exactly how it goes down. That is she, pretty much what goes down, yeah. No, but she spends this whole time talking to these people who never realized how evil, like, the Council of Watchers were. She does that, too. Yeah. She, she also gets to, like, stand up before she stays. Oh, I guess it's the wrong that's order. That's more of her proof of her point when he does turn human rather than anything else. Because people are listening. And she's saying, like, they've manipulated you. And even Francis, her watcher, and, like, all these other watchers didn't realize how the council was manipulating people, keeping vampires there, etc. Anyway, her speech seems to be the turning point to me, rather than Angel turning I guess you're right, but... Well, it's like the official thing, but they could still cover that up with bureaucracy or different factions. Sure. This turns the entire population of London to... To Buffy's side afterwards. Yes, I agree. Right. But yeah, anyway, the performing sp- a miracle but is the, the speech yeah. is the like is the main gist of what she's trying to do here. That was just the way to drive it home. All right. Well, I think also save Angel. Is part of it. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. And eh, whatever. And um, so there's a schism in the council. Schism. 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 Right, and there's kind of a confrontation between like. The people who are sympathetic with Buffy's saying and, um, you know, Mark with and the people who are trying to track da- crack down on it. It comes out then that the council's uh, modus operandi for the past couple hundred years was to keep people complacent and fearful yeah. in order to, to yeah. control things. Not fight back yeah. too hard. Because, and that's why they, bow, they outlawed witchcraft was because witchcraft was too useful yeah. to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what Buffy reveals in her, like, big speech. And everybody's like, let her speak. And it's pretty <laughs> powerful. And then you have a couple other dramatic reveals at the end. One of the cool things is that Sumiko, who's been around this whole time and apparently kind of been getting tight with Mark with and or, like, involved romantically yes. with him. There's this weird thing where she had married her own watcher. Oh, way back in the past. Right, yeah. way back in the patch and past. And so, like, there's an implication that she might be getting tight with Mark with because, like, he's her watcher well, now like, or whatever. Well, because, like, they disappear from the party at the same time. So yeah. Like, and it's and just, Mark with seems happier for some reason. So they kind of stereotype her around that, which is... But then, well, and, what's and, revealed and, is And, and really also dope. that, like, she hasn't picked up any English. She's, like, just sure, been... Sure. And people have commented on it. It's like, why is she making more of an effort to learn some English? And they're like, well, she's got a lot on her plate, or, you yeah. know, like, she's whatever. But uh, Sumiko's been doing good slayering and just been a good... Mark with lapdog in the meantime. And he's mm-hmm. kind of using her as his right-hand muscle in this last scene, at which point she gets to turn around and say, like, oh, yeah, I have proof of all this stuff, and, like, I'll show it to you, and I know where all the skeletons are. Yes. I moved all the papers out of his room earlier today. My English is completely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty satisfying. It is. Like, after how many, like, like how many thousands of words in this, tens, hundreds, thousands of words in this story we get? this, like, Sumiko being like, I knew English all along, and I was just playing this bastard. We, we haven't talked about Sumiko a lot in this podcast because they're not central to the plot, but Sumiko's been a constant throughout the story, and they're yeah. always there in really yes. a lot of good character moments, and it's been 
you, you like Simiko reading this. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things during her reveal here is that, like, as a speaker of Japanese, I, or more or less, I, like, noticed her first thing that she said was, like, oh, who am I? Where am I? And she reveals in this drop, she's like, oh, yeah, originally I was going to pretend to have amnesia until I figured out what was going on, <laughs> but it turned out no one spoke Japanese, so I didn't need to. So I just went with that. Like, I just went, Which I just is went with that. really funny, because, yeah, when you did mention that she was saying, like, who am I, where am I, I was like, everybody knew who they were. <laughs> then I realized, yeah, you're right, she was pretending to have amnesia, which is it's so good. And I just She's like that so good. characterization of this is the Slayer that lasted the longest, so this is the best, smartest, wisest right. Slayer possible. And she she kind of says that. She's like, I didn't live 14 years by playing my hand early. Yeah. Like, she is the best character because, like, yeah, like, everybody, like, characterizes her as being, like, in bed with Markwith because she married her own watcher. And she, like, turns around and she's like, fuck that. Like, but she plays that whole aspect to, like, take advantage of him. Yeah. So what he says to her is, this whole time, I truly cared for you. And she's like, well, you're a fucking asshole, so... Yeah, Mark was, was like, was none of it real? She's like, nope. No, of course not, dumbass. You're an asshole. Like, she's Fuck so you. good. I know. She's so good. Um, it's pretty great. And so it ends on kind of the promise of possible reform in the council that, like, Francis is going to kind of lead up a contingent that's going to be, you know, reformers for it. To actually try to help people now mm-hmm. move and improve the situation. And now Angel is human. Yeah. Officially. Yeah. So, you know, that resolves Buffy the Vampire Slayer the series because they can have PIV sex. And <laughs> that was the biggest issue in the whole in series. In the whole series. I mean, I, I'd like to if you can say that's totally sarcastic, your, but it's not completely sarcastic. If you can sew your penis into a vagina, then what's the point of living, if you ask me? That is true happiness. <laughs> Anyway, well, Whedon says so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Nonetheless, they, it, it is very no, it, sweet that they're able to do something they've always wanted to do. Well, not to knock that entirely. They, they do things like show Angel the sun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Show it's Angel smart. their own reflection. Have them yeah. eat a pear. I think he tastes. Yeah, he tastes a pear, and he's like, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> they also mentioned at the end that uh, actress guy, the next letter being called, was one that slipped slipped through their dragnet as. Uh, a pers- uh, 15-year-old in Ireland, and would Buffy and Angel like to go on a road trip to go pick up the new Slayer? So they're like, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. new adventures. Yeah. New and, then, and they go with some other people, right? Do they go with Sumiko? Or they, are they going with... They talk know. about it, and then it ends. Yeah, really. yeah it's not anyway, settled. It's, just it's kind, kind of, of cute. Of a, it gives them another new mission, a lot of hope. It's sort of like a Do I Smell a Sequel? No, there's not. No, no sequel. <laughs> but it's a lead-in to, like, a hopeful future for them, which I think is important because when Buffy first arrived in this quote-unquote future, she felt like she had no future. She met Angel, and then their relationship was, like, tenuous, and now, like, they have an infinite future together, despite well, all the loss. In, in a sense. One of the other things is, you know, Buffy... There was this... A source of angst for Buffy, a very understandable source, where she was like, wait... It's possible for them to just revive me, and if they like get more of this demon oh, yes, blood, they can do yes. it again. Yeah, and like so, there's this, there's this prospect of a horrifying existence wherein she yes. she might die, but then she'll be revived another five hundred years in the future to fight vampires or whatever. Like who knows? Yeah, and so she one of the things is she makes Angel promise, like, look, when I die, like burn my body, like don't mm-hmm. let anyone mm-hmm. have that yeah. available again. 
completely fair. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah, and now Angel's also going to die in, like, an earthly timeline, too, though, so they feel like they can make this natural life together. I think I kind of like the ending that wasn't just an ending, but it's like they're also doing something else, but they don't have any obligation to tell that story. Kind of gives it, like, Mm -hmm. a... Yeah, like like a rolling rolling ending into a start. Sure, right. Like, the main things that this story was concerned with have been resolved, but that doesn't mean, like, everything in the world is a, has a bow tied on it. Yeah. You know, it's it's well done. I just felt like it was a very, like, typical ending for, a, like, a very engrossing novel where, like, at the end, the characters are, like, driving off to somewhere new. Right. Yeah. And their their whole future is full of possibility. I feel like that's your typical hopeful ending. Like, it doesn't call for a sequel, but it, it makes you feel good. <laughs> it makes you feel fuzzy. Like, they're off into the sunset, basically. Makes you yeah. wonder, yeah. The length of this fanfic is novel length. It's it's yes. short of 100,000 words, but it's, like, more yeah. than 90,000. It's a novel. It's, it's a novel. 24 chapters. And I feel like one of the things I... Chapters doesn't tell you much if you don't know yeah. what the chapters are. Well, each one was about 12 pages. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so that's a novel. And mm-hmm. I feel like one of the things I enjoyed about it was that it it felt like a novel. It had themes that it progressed with the whole way. It had character arcs that progressed with the whole way. Like, I feel like most of the... Everything was kind of really well-structured, and I feel like I've had to complain about the flow of fanfic several times in recent memory. Yeah. This... And this is the opposite of complaining about the flow. <laughs> the flow was very good. Yeah, one thing we complain about fanfics usually with a lot of chapters is that they get progressively beefier, beefier, beefier chapters as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Each of these chapters are about more or less the same length. They are, yes. They're, they're all pretty much exactly the same length, and they're all pretty well paced, mm-hmm. and each chapter has its own kind of conclusion. It, it's it's well done. Right? It makes use of the length, too, um, you know, with all the world building and kind of uncertainty about where it's going. When Nor died, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those like horror things where the Slayers are picked off one by one. Yeah. That's the kind of story it's going to be. And it isn't. Like, that That moment was still necessary for the story because it's one of the things building to, like, the sky reveal and, like, the being willing to kill her and all that kind of sure. thing. But it just wasn't the story that you thought it was going to be. And, you know, maybe you thought that that master vampire who was built up a little <laughs> bit was going to be important. And his presence was important for the plot twists, yeah. but it wasn't the kind of story you initially thought it might be. I, mean, I liked it because it was such, like, a like a paper tiger of the typical Buffy season story. Right. Yeah. Like, by the time you've seen this much Buffy, yeah. a badass vampire is not that impressive. It's like, okay, he's a vampire. Yeah, these, these ones can, can catch crossbow bolts, we know that, yada, yada. Right. <laughs> but you really do, when you're, you're leading into the whole book, I guess you can call it, because it is novel length, um, really do expect there to be, I don't know, like kind of different, it seems very dark. Buffy's in a very dark place. The relationship with Angel doesn't seem to be at the forefront of anything because it hasn't been in Buffy for a while at this point that this was written. And then all these new slayers coming in, you kind of wonder what's going to happen. You wonder if you're supposed to focus on this master vampire or not. And then the tables turn and it becomes about Buffy and Angel's relationship. And I feel like that was exactly where the story should have gone. Mm-hmm. It, it just, the author let you not expect it, which was really nice. And despite all that tension and such, the. Um, there's moments of happiness and hope also. And not just yes. at the end, but scattered throughout. Yeah. Like, there's a moment where Angel gets to hand over a copy. Like, he, he digs out a copy of Dawn's book mm-hmm. for Buffy. 
And, like, that's kind of a really heartwarming moment for her, like a connection to someone who is not Angel from her past that showed that they were alive and that they did something and, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully had some kind of pleasure or success from it. Dawn just gets to be an unimportant MacGuffin for the rest of her life, I guess. <laughs> and for the rest of the Buffy. Yeah, yeah. I not, suppose. not even MacGuffin, just a... Just as the sister character from that point on. Former MacGuffin, ex-MacGuffin. Yeah, mm-hmm. they mention it every so often, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I always liked that about Dawn, though. It was like, she's all the memories are supposed to be implanted, but oh well, our relationship's real, yeah. whatevs. Yeah. I mean, that's cool how they, they never really question that again. Actually you know? a mystical key, but acting like a person, so why not? So why not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about Dawn is that her actress was in The Adventures of Pete and Pete. <laughs> Yeah. I, I didn't like Dawn too much. <laughs> How did you feel about Pete and Pete? I liked Pete and Pete. No, good. <laughs> yeah. Good. We can still be friends. <laughs> no, I remember Next actress. week is going to be Pete and Pete fan fiction. I heard her actress from elsewhere <laughs> before I ever saw her in Buffy, but... Yeah, she's around. Yeah, she was around in, like, a lot of media when I was growing up. Um, so, I really liked this book. Uh... I thought it was really well done, and there was a lot to praise, and mostly I feel like a lot of my praise is about how it hangs together really well as a single work of writing that is entertaining and, mm. you know, and reads well. Do we have complaints? I, I don't have a complaint. I can skip to my compliment. <laughs> no, let's try really hard so the author doesn't get a big head about this. Okay, okay. What can we complain about? Uh, um... Usually we complain about something. Uh... <laughs> The fan Japanese was not those ex- two sentences of Japanese that served a good purpose. And they, ah, ch- and they yeah. checked out. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I would say that like there definitely this is really hard because it is really well written. But there were definitely times where I feel like there were a couple of clunky things, but I'm struggling to find them right now because <laughs> hidden and missed all this like very well written stuff. It's hard. They're not what you remember. Um, some of the, I guess my biggest thing is, like, some of the, the Buffy dialogue felt kind of forced. Like, I was, like, it was, like, trying to go for Joss Whedon, but it was too ensconced in pop culture references and, like, not quite that level. That was Buffy dialogue, though. Yeah. But Maybe, but some of the references, like, made no sense to me. Well, that's, also, was, that's Buffy dialogue. Yeah, Buffy says at one point that these demons have a life expectancy of a spinal tab trevor. That's from the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean... Th- like, some of them are really good, but some of them just miss the mark for me. Oh, here's and, my... And I'm not saying that, like, oh, maybe that's just me, okay? But that's my <laughs> criticism, all right? So, there you go. Here's my other favorite Sumiko moment, mm-hmm. where after a whole book where a running joke is people rolling their eyes at Buffy when she uses her Buffy dialogue pop culture references, and they're like, whatever, I, I think I got what you were saying. Like, at the very end, talking with Sumiko, that kind of thing comes up, and Sumiko says... It was usually clear what you were saying from the context. <laughs> Not that hard to figure out. Right, like she was the yeah. only one who wasn't thrown by it. And Simiko was the one from the furthest back in Which time. Exactly. <laughs> actually the most hilarious thing because it is true. Absolutely. And the fact the author plays that up so much throughout is actually really great. I think Simiko is the only one there that's learned a foreign language. What? Uh, what? That you, does... you think Noor and Shouting's oh. first language was English? I don't know, maybe. Or maybe. No. Shouting's from they, Beijing they, they never in the 22nd, who knows? But like, it, it, is, it, is like a, it is like a language learner's thing to try to 
get things in context and understand them. Nora's from the 19th century in Saudi Arabia. No, she's from the 22nd century. Oh, who's from the 19th? Oh, Agatha. Agatha. Although, that's right, Shouting and Nora are both from the 22nd. So you're right, she's the only one who explicitly is a second language speaker. Yeah, it must have been tough back then, too. You don't have a, you know, babble. Yeah. I mean, there's the sequel that I would read is like Sumiko and her husband in like 18th century Japan. Yeah, it's the thing I'd read is Sumiko. Stop there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Are we done with complaints? There were a couple. I think we're done trying. There were yeah, there are a couple specific things, but like looking them up doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense to criticize this. I think it works so well together as a work. I, I'm just like, well, if I could author some con- offer some constructive criticism, but also this author is like has 20 published novels and like New York Times bestsellers now. So no, I'm not even going to. And go probably there. does not write like they did in 2001. Exactly. Yeah. There's no <laughs> point. <laughs> oh well. Well, it was a pleasure to read something that was such a pleasure to read. That's mm-hmm. my deep comment. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something I liked about this is. We reference to as we're talking about how they kind of drip fed the um, world building mm-hmm. and how there is like so 300 years of stuff that happened in the background, like even stuff that happened in the past 50 years or something that just happened, wasn't part of the plot. Like, um, what, well, like Spike, for example, mm-hmm. yeah, like they caught Spike, that was bound to happen at some point. <laughs> well, especially since he was coming sure, around, sure. like you know, yeah. trying to be a vampire master and they at them brought Spike and they brought him there in London to see if Angel would try to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. That's part of the history between yeah. Angel and Mark. With actually, I do kind of wish they'd done more with Spike, but also, like, I hate <laughs> him as a character. Like, I loved him when I was like 21, and then looking back, I'm like, wow, he's terrible, he's a terrible person, nobody should like him. So, so then, by done more with Spike, do you mean they wish they had actually shown where he was tortured and killed? That kind of thing? No, they, they I, did though, that was that uh, trial space, yeah. No, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> the exact moment, but yes, also, like, when um, Buffy and Angel are talking about Buffy saying that they should just admit that they killed Sky, And Angel says, Buffy, no. We're not telling anyone about this. A human killed a Slayer once, years ago, and he's still in the tower. And that's just like a little bit of lore. Like, yeah, a a guy killed a Slayer. He's in prison forever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a sense that, like, things have happened. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, you don't find out all the world building. I still don't quite understand how many humans there are or what the lifestyle is like outside of London, but you don't really need to know, though. I would like to see it, though, honestly. There's communication, though, with other settlements. Some, yeah. Yeah. I do feel like, for me, that was the missing piece. Oh, yeah. I would like to understand more about the world. But but I I just mean, like, it was probably a good idea to not increase the scope too much. No. And in terms of other things... In terms of other things that happened, like, you find out that Angel for some time was training the new Slayers and then, like, politics shifted and he stopped. Yeah. And, like, mm. yeah, all that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. See, cool. I'd, like to, I'd just like to see all those stories told. Hmm. I, I think you could make a pretty good source book for the RPG. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. The Buffy the Vampire Slayer RPG was supposed to be, I think, interesting. Uh, but I think these days people just play Monster of the Week and would never touch yeah. a good old licensed one. Well, mm-hmm. let's, let's play that. Fly sl- Everybody's a Slayer, right? Everybody's Slayer. No. no, I love this though that they brought in so many Slayers. <laughs> like, there are so many elements of fantasy brought to life here. You know, when you're watching Buffy, you're like, it'd be like if there were five Slayers and they do that, they do a future fantasy, they do Buffy and Angel getting together, mm-hmm. but Angel actually becoming human. Like, everything you kind of want to see. 
And I kind of love that it wasn't super lighthearted. It was still in the same vein as Buffy, but you still get to see, like, wish fulfillment the way that Joss Whedon would totally, like, cut you off with. Like, oh, you think that Angel's going to get human and Buffy and Angel are going to get to be together? Hell no. This author actually does that, but doesn't make it, like, idealized. So it was just it'd be super like, well done. It'd be hell no. Angel has their own franchise on a different yeah. time slot, so we need to keep that going. My favorite and only Joss Whedon story is that, like, my first week of college, they had a pre-screening of Serenity, and, mm-hmm. you know, Joss Whedon was there for an FAQ afterwards. And one of, someone asked him as a question afterwards, mm-hmm. do you think that you've, like, finished up the stories that you wanted to tell for these characters? And he said, well, I certainly finished up some of them, because he killed some of the characters. <laughs> so he killed off, like, everybody's <laughs> favorite characters. I, yeah. I'm paraphrasing. I forget what his wording was, but... Yeah, it was like, haha, I killed some of those characters. I know, I hate it. Like, I just feel like it's just sloppy storytelling if you're just like, everybody dies and that's what's interesting. And I don't know, the wash moment did make me feel like a final fight in an action movie had stakes, which is not something I normally feel. Yeah, it was more, some people die. Maybe? Maybe all? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just tired of people praising him because he kills off his characters. Mm-hmm. You should write your own book where you kill off characters. Draw a comic where you kill off characters. I, just, I don't. I don't think it's necessary to kill off characters to tell a compelling story. I well, feel it's like a, it's kind of sloppy, honestly. It's a good thing we've moved away from that stuff now, as we all recently got off the recent, uh, you know, Game of Thrones burn. <laughs> I see. That's the part I don't like about um, Song of Ice and Fire either. But anyway, mm-hmm. I never really watched the Game of Thrones, but I assume they kill more characters even after the plot ends from those books. So there you go. How about if we keep going with the Firefly franchise? Mm-hmm. And Wash comes back as some sort of fire zombie. Zombie. <laughs> yeah. Or a vampire. Or a vampire. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Slayer in space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I read that um, comic that was like a future Slayer. I forget what it was called. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was fine. It was fine. They reference it in uh, the Buffy season eight comic. Yeah, she gets the cool axe, right? Well, from the oh, show. No. Yeah. Oh, with the axe from the show anyway. Yeah. No. Yeah, okay. I think it's a glaive, technically. Glaive. Silence glaive. That's my only glaive. <laughs> Sam. Good glaive, good glaive. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it never actually gets to be used as a weapon against anything, ever. But other than that, it's a good glaive. Right. I'm not bitter. <laughs> okay. Well, anything else we want to talk about before we close this up? Uh, I think it's a worthwhile read. Yeah. 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 I felt it kept in the, the Buffy tone. I almost feel like I wish this writer had had written Buffy instead of Jocelyn. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe their dialogue wasn't quite as humorous, but it's it's hard because you don't get the same delivery. But their storytelling, like, the stories were totally there. It's, like, what I wanted the characters to do, like, at least Buffy and Angel. So it was good. They took the story to an interesting place from the very beginning. Like, first yes. chapter, I was hooked. Yeah. yeah. It was a really totally. good premise. Yeah. And it just fit in with that same Buffy universe, even though they took it totally to a different setting, which was dope. Yeah. I was a little worried about assigning you all a novel to read in between our much shorter works. It's going to happen again. Hopefully we find them as compelling in the future so that you'll actually finish reading them. I have no worries about my ability to read novels worth of fan fiction, but, you know, I'm just gifted like that. (laughs) fanfic reading prowess some of us have other things to do with our lives Amano. I mean I've got two kids but I'm fine neglecting them if I'm <laughs> going to be reading some good fanfiction that's the spirit yeah 
Priorities. Priorities. I have a comic to work on, so I got bigger things. Is bigger fish fiction? to fry. I got a podcast at it, but yeah, fuck it. I can just read more fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can have different priorities, Dom. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're all agreed. <laughs> so, um, what is it? Fanfic first, then comics, then editing the podcast, then children? I don't do all of those things. <laughs> If one of us did all of those things, then yeah, that's what we'd be at, right? <laughs> but all that said, next week we're going the opposite direction in length and going down to a good, oh, like 7,600 words. This is not the shortest we've ever read because the they say of the elves exists. But we're going to be reading the short story, Sherlock Holmes Arrives Too Late. By this guy, Maurice LeBlanc. LeBlanc. <laughs> I speak French. Sounds Matt like LeBlanc's it. brother. Uh, yeah. And it is not quite a um, hundred years older than Phoenix Burning. So is it a Sherlock Holmes fanfic? It is. It must be a Sherlock Holmes fanfic because it is a story <laughs> with Sherlock Holmes in it that was not written by... Right. What's his name? No. It's Arthur Conan Doyle. I was going to say Edward Conan Doyle. <laughs> no, that's the uh, detective yeah. from the, that's the anime. That's still going, I think. Oh, Edward that's Gawa. right. How, how can that still be going? God. How, how can One Piece still be going? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. How can Pokemon still be going? What's the, what's the body count on that show now? <laughs> At a certain point, you just have to not go near Edogawa Conan. I don't think that mm-hmm. helps. Because <laughs> it has seriously be like 500 episodes. There's like 500 bodies. Uh, there's a lot of movies too. Yeah, more than one person dies per movie. Definitely. Yeah. So, well, so a low more average. than one person dies per day. So it's all around. It's accurate, they right? all die around this one kid in Japan too. Yeah. I know. So truthfully, this is a Lupin story. Well, okay, it's a Lupin story, mm-hmm. but it's a Sherlock Holmes fanfic. Right. By my strict definition of fan fiction. I, that sounds cool. I, I love Lupin the Third. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see, I see. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny that someone was writing Lupin the Third stories in 1906, but I guess we'll see what's up with that. <laughs> uh, that will be next week. You can find a link there at bit.ly slash RFR Holmes. Uh, you know, H-O-L-M-E-S. Holmes. Like Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. You actually say the L? Yeah. No. <laughs> Wait, what? what? You say it Holmes. 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 Are you saying the L? Holmes. Are you saying the L? Holmes. You're not saying the L. No. And you are. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> no, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. What the heck? This is a great radio. <laughs> I'm so mad right now at all of you. I kind of thought you didn't say the L. Well, you sort of say it. Okay. It's just you have to picture the L in your mind when you well, say it. This is like an ant and the other ant. <laughs> you mean ant and aunt? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Those sound different. Okay. <laughs> you definitely have to spell the L when you are typing bit.ly slash RFR Holmes. It's Holmes or Holmes. Those are two different words. I don't know what is wrong with you. And it's going to take you to Project Gutenberg because this is in the public domain, unlike anything else we've read so far. And it's going to take you to a compilation of Arsene Lupin stories, most of which are not Sherlock Holmes fanfiction, but the last one definitely is, because it's got Sherlock Holmes in it. I, would say I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I would say you're playing kind of fast and loose with the definition of fanfiction, but we did just do one about redeath, so... <laughs> uh, well, let me... Okay, so redeath was probably not fanfiction, no. but let me give you my fanfiction definition. Okay. So... 
it's got to be a story based on another story mm-hmm. that was written by an identifiable author or authors. I have that in there so that it's like all of Arthurian legend is not fan fiction or like Greek myth or like... I want to be able to point to like, oh, this is based on something that a certain person wrote. There's one book so. for the Arthurian legend, by, but anyways. Well, we could yeah. read The Once and Future King. Yeah. Because it's based really, really specifically on Lamorde Arthur, that's which true. was written by one guy. Yeah, that's Like by, by an identifiable author, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we wouldn't do Lamorde Arthur because that guy was, you know, <laughs> gathering sure. together a whole bunch of like stuff and writing it anyway. <laughs> and it needs to be done without the permission of that author or authors or rights holders. Mm. And I am 100% certain that the short story, Sherlock Holmes Arrives Too Late, was not written with the permission of, what's his name? Edogawa Conan. Edogawa Conan. <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. I think Conan Doyle, yeah. So there you go. Checkmate based on the definition that I came up with myself. I'm sorry, I feel I'm very proud. Daydreaming about the podcast we're going to do about the Once and Future King. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little long, unfortunately. Anyways, join us next week. Should be fun. Yes. That, as for this, this was episode 41 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective Phoenix Burning, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fanfiction by Yahtzee. You can find a link to that at bit.ly slash RFR Phoenix. We didn't need to use that one for the Care Bears story, because that wasn't called Phoenix. It was called something. The Audubon Society of Phoenix, Arizona? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. The intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. Also, we're at retrofanfic on Twitter and at retrofanfic on Facebook. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, please contact us on any of those places or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. We did get a few comments on, is it just Podbean? Yeah. Uh, About our recent Harry Potter episode. On 39, Harmless and Easily Domesticated. Yep. Where we talked about the qualifications of, or lack thereof, of uh, Hogwarts teachers mm-hmm. and how suspect they were. Uh, we had this Podbean user, the fanfic was better, mentioned that how weird it was that they had a Defense Against Dark Arts t-shirt, Moody, mm-hmm. uh, who was actually you know the other guy in disguise, who had to drink Polyjuice Potion like every few minutes. How like Before they knew that, they thought, oh, there's just this guy who's teaching kids. Who's taking a swig of alcohol like every like, alcohol, every few minutes the entire time? So just constantly plastered. Did they really think it was alcohol? We could have been. Um, yeah. No, clearly was nobody was like, checking because it was polyvis potion. But nobody checks anything about these teachers. Like remember the way that Harry was punished by um, oh the one who was ended up on the the prim one who made him write in his uh, own umbridge. hand. Umbridge. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, like, nobody was like, hey, let's check out if the teachers are punishing <laughs> students. Oh, they're, like, physically harming them. That's a problem. No, they just kind of let them run hog wild out there in Hogwarts. Yeah, it's like, you know, Harry Potter, everyone's favorite uh, child abuse story, apparently. Really, though? <laughs> That's like, why I'm not sending my kids to Hogwarts. 
Same. Think about the American one. Uh, actually, I know even less about that one, so who knows? <laughs> Everybody does. They're going to be self-taught wizards. Yeah, the fanfic was better. Also fact-checked us about uh, there being no no issues with language because uh, you do have one character in book four, Victor Crumb, whose English is not very good. I like, see. And that is a, I don't want to call it a plot point, but it's a thing. <laughs> Fair enough. That's good to know. I appreciate having that information. Yeah. And so send us comments and we will definitely read them at the very least. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other before the vampire apocalypse. Until <laughs> next time, take care. Bye. Because I'm not being nice to you after the vampire apocalypse. <laughs> I'm just dying in the vampire apocalypse. <laughs>